the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Just like a deer that craves streams of water, my whole being craves you, God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and see God's face? My tears have been my food both day and night, as people constantly questioned me, where is your God now? But I remember these things as I bear my soul, how I made my way to the mighty one's abode, to God's own house. With joyous shouts and thanksgiving songs, a huge crowd celebrating the festival. 
Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will give him thanks, my saving presence, and my God. My whole being is depressed. That's why I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep called to deep at the noise of your waterfalls, all your massive waves surged over me. By day the Lord commands his faithful love, by night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my solid rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I have to walk around sad, oppressed by enemies? With my bones crushed, my foes make fun of me, constantly questioning me, where's your God now? Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will again give him thanks, my saving presence, and my God. How is your soul today? Do you have confidence in Jesus? We're sharing these stories out of the book of Mark, and they are so rich. But they're not just stories. They explain to us how God works. We see Jesus walking on the earth now in the flesh, but then he's going to go to heaven, and he's going to send to us the Holy Spirit. And now we walk with the Spirit of the living God in the same way that they walked with the living Jesus when he was on the earth. But let's look at a story. In Mark, the fifth chapter, Jesus, with his disciples, has left the Persians, Gennesaret, where the demoniac was made clean and the pigs ran off and drowned themselves. They've now gotten in the boat because they were beseeched by the townspeople to leave. They were frightened of this man. And so they got in the boat and traveled over to the other side. And as soon as they got there, a large crowd assembled. They came running to see Jesus. And in that crowd, there was a man by the name of Jairus. He was a synagogue ruler. He was one of the key leaders of the people. He came running to Jesus. The crowd, in respect, separated and made room for him. And he fell down at the feet of Jesus. And he began to plead earnestly with Jesus, saying, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus began to make his way to Jairus' house to heal this precious daughter. Now there was a very large crowd. Everyone was pressing in around him. Everyone wanted to hear the words he was speaking as he walked with the crowd. There was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had literally spent all she had. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
Now, you understand, she could not enter into the tabernacle of God. She could not enter into the synagogue because she was bleeding, and they considered her unclean. But she makes her way through this crowd. I suppose she even used her elbows a bit to move people aside and to get to Jesus because everyone wanted to get to Jesus. She determined in her heart that if she could just reach out and touch the garment of Jesus, she would be healed. Now, I don't know how she came to that conclusion, but it was a very wise choice. So she made her way, trying, edging, to get close enough to just touch Jesus' clothing. And she reaches out, and she touches him. And as soon as she touched him, her bleeding stopped, her body was restored, and there was no more suffering. And at once Jesus, knowing that power had gone out from him, he turned around to the crowd, and he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, they said, you see the people crowding against you. And yet you ask who touched me? Jesus, everybody's been touching you. Now, understand. Jesus is on a mission for a daddy to heal a precious daughter. And now he is interrupted. This man knows that his daughter may die at any moment. And then, in his mind, all hope will be lost. And so, he becomes very impatient with the delay. And I, I was reading this, and I thought back, all of the times when I have been so desperately in need of Jesus. And yet it seems that everything delays his coming. To the point I have sometimes said, this silence of God regarding my case causes me to despair that he will ever answer. One person I spoke to, they said, God answers your prayers, but not my prayers. And so I've just given up. That's what we're faced with. How do we handle the delays of God's coming? You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress, where Pastor Ray Greenlee and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel before we continue in the story, I wanted to point out a few things about Jesus in the story that help us as we take on the task of ministering to others. Now, what's interesting about this story, as Pastor Ray mentioned, is that Jesus was on the way to help one person with a very urgent case, and yet he was interrupted on his way there. And what we see here is that Jesus does not get angry. Jesus does not get impatient. 
we might expect and this woman certainly expected that she would very likely be condemned for having reached out and touched this rabbi as a woman who was bleeding she was considered unclean and anybody she touched would become unclean so jesus is reversing what is expected what is expected is that by touching jesus she would make jesus unclean but in fact by touching jesus jesus makes her clean and so we see here a great compassion on the heart of in the heart of jesus and i also want to mention here we've especially pastor ray we've been speaking a lot on this broadcast about reaching out to the poor reaching out to those in need and the main reason i would say that i have observed that these people don't get a lot of investment is because a lot of them really aren't very pleasant to be around they may be like this woman who is bleeding for 12 years and you know if you're someone who's not bleeding you usually don't want to be hanging around someone who is bleeding so we tend to maybe go a little bit out of our way one time and then move on with our lives but that's not the example of jesus jesus didn't say to her oh here's a couple you know here's a little bit of spare change go ahead and maybe the doctors will help you no he actually stopped and healed her and we certainly are praying that we will be able to do likewise that we can heal people in the same way that jesus did but more broadly what i really want you to hear in this story is jesus's great patience and his willingness to physically touch to be with people who are not very comfortable or pleasant to be around it may be because as this woman was bleeding it could be for other reasons cleanliness or lack thereof it could be because you're not used to talking to people who aren't well educated there's a lot of reasons why we tend to avoid those who most need our help so the example of jesus is to bridge that gap with compassion and with healing now this woman knew what had happened to her and she knew she had touched jesus and jesus has now stopped the whole crowd and saying who touched me and trembling with fear she comes and she falls at his feet and she tells him the whole story and he says to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace and be freed from your suffering now Jairus is frantic this delay may have cost him his daughter's life sometimes we get frantic Lord if you don't come by this date at this time I lose everything and I'm dead well, those are always faults. Our trust is in Jesus. And what I'm excited about is that Jesus doesn't have a to-do list and then cranks through it, irregardless of a woman bleeding who unexpectedly comes and touches him. I don't want to live with such a rigid schedule 
that I'm not willing to be compassionate and reach out and let another reach out to touch me. There's another element here which we will see also in a moment in Jairus. This happens both with the woman being healed and with Jairus' miracle. In both of these cases, Jesus performs these miracles with those who believe despite the discouragement of others. So we see the disciples very much discouraged this woman's healing. They said, don't you see the crowd pressing against you, yet you ask who has touched me? To them, it wasn't important whether this woman was healed or not. It was almost an indifference. Now we'll see in a moment an even less sympathetic response from Jairus's friends. But what I like about this is that despite how others respond to your prayers, despite how others may even actively discourage you or seem to not care at all, Jesus is still able and willing to heal you and to answer your prayers. So while Jesus is speaking to this woman, some of the men from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, they come and they say, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? In their minds, Jesus could do something as long as there was physical life. But when physical life is gone, it's hopeless. It's over. So many times in my life, I've been at a point where everything seemed dead. Nothing was working. Everything had gone wrong that could go wrong. And in that place, what's the use of praying anymore? God didn't answer my prayer. My case is hopeless. He got delayed with somebody else. That's why I used to sing this song about, while on others thou art calling, please do not pass me by. Because many times I have felt like God passed me by. The work has been bitter. There's been a lack of success. There's been the criticism of others. And if you're willing to subject yourself to that and give way and stop praying, believe me, Satan will have a whole number of people lined up who will come and tell you why you can't do what you're praying for and why it's hopeless and how wrong you are, how bad you are, how much you misunderstand the scriptures and you might as well just give up and leave. The other side to this is we want to make sure that we aren't like these messengers. Yes. At this point, Jairus, more than anything, needed someone who would encourage him to really press on in faith to Jesus, believing even that he could raise his daughter from the dead. Now, not only do we not want to be discouraged by others, but we don't want to be the one doing the discouraging. So it's important that we have a clear understanding of Jesus's character, of his will, and that we don't turn people away from salvation, from healing, from prayer, for something that the scriptures are clear that God really is willing to do for them. Jesus speaks now to the synagogue ruler. He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. 
Jesus totally ignores these people who are saying, Jesus can't do anything now. You might as well let him go on his way. Don't bother him anymore. Your daughter is dead. Jesus simply ignores their unbelief and says to this precious man, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, I I think today, I know today in the spirit that there are some of you in a place where you're hearing you might as well just give up. God's never going to answer your prayer. You're just going to have to work hard and struggle and raise yourself up by your own bootstraps because God is not going to rescue you. I want to tell you they're, they're wrong. Don't listen to them. And don't listen to your own heart if that's what your own heart is saying. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Common English Bible translate this, don't be afraid, just keep trusting. What I like about that is it shows Jairus had been trusting up until this point, and Jesus is saying, don't give up now, but keep trusting. And it's a continuous action. In other words, it's not just believe right now. It's keep on believing. Don't give up your hope. God will answer. Now they got to the house and he wouldn't let anyone follow him except Peter and James and John. And in the house, there was a commotion at the front door and in the house itself. They had relatives, probably many that had even been hired, who came to weep and wail for the dead daughter. They were crying out loudly, well, he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they scorned him. They laughed at him. Again, I want to come back. I've had so many people in my life who have scorned me and laughed at me for believing that God is going to bring revival to Washington, D.C. Men and women have laughed at me for believing, as it says in Luke, the 11th chapter, that God wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask more than a parent wants to feed their child. And we're standing for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and part of what I've discovered is that it seems that there's nothing happening in the physical realm. And then suddenly, with a sweep of God's majestic hand, everything changes. All the dust and debris is swept aside. And there is a new wonder of God's presence. Have you ever faced that, Alexandra? Where it looked like it was impossible? It's over? You might as well give up? 
we recently helped a brother who wrongfully uh, lost his house and received nothing for it. And I bring this example up because I'm sure there are many of you listening who are facing some kind of injustice in your life. And you've done everything that you know to do, everything that you feel like you can do. And it appears that the injustice is going to go uncorrected. But we have promises in the scriptures, such as, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And if you study the Psalms and really the entire Bible, but you find it a lot in the Psalms, you see throughout the scriptures that God is very much interested in writing what is wrong. So in the case of this one particular brother, uh, we became aware of his situation, began to pray with him, began to pray for him. And I was praying that particular scripture, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And there were definitely periods where we heard nothing for about a month. But I was confident, I had a, a, a confidence in my spirit that God was going to answer. Mm-hmm. And after several months, this man received uh, over $60,000 that was owed him from the wrongful foreclosure of this house. And I don't believe he would have received that if we hadn't gotten involved and hadn't prayed. And that's the example that we see in this story as well, both with the woman who's bleeding and with Jairus and his daughter, is these are people who, if they had gotten discouraged, if they had listened to others, they would have given up. And they would not have received the miracle from God. They would not have received the blessing from God that God wanted to give them. So it's very important. There's things that God wants to do for us, but they won't happen unless we ask him for it. And I want to also bring up this again on this question of uh, God's justice. As you, if you start to study some of the major movements throughout American history, for example, the abolitionist movement, if you read Uncle Tom's Cabin, you'll start to see a recurring theme throughout these writings that there is this belief, there is a faith in God that God will make everything that is wrong right, either in this life or in the life to come. And so that was a great incentive, or I want to say it really galvanized our brothers and sisters who went before us to take up the fight to really bring God's kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven, to bring God's justice, to right the wrongs on the earth as much as possible, knowing that even if they died, not having seen those wrongs righted, that God would at the final judgment finally bring justice and righteousness so they're laughing they're scornful of jesus so he puts them out he wanted no commotion he wanted the presence of the holy spirit he takes the child's father and mother and peter james and john and they go into the room where the child is laying probably with a sheet over her face. She's gone. She's dead. Jesus goes up and he takes this little girl by the hand and he says to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. 
And immediately, the breath of God was moving in this little girl. She stood up. She walked around. She was about 12 years of age. Everyone was completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. He always did that because he didn't want an even greater number of people clamoring for his time and attention. But then he said something that just makes my heart love Jesus. Give her something to eat. What 12-year-old is not ready to eat? Give her something to eat. Now, when I look at this whole story as it's laid out, how do we now move from the physical presence of Jesus to his being gone and the Holy Spirit now filling his place? But we can't see the Holy Spirit. He's invisible. So how do we make this transition and walk by the Spirit. There's a scripture that talks about the Holy Spirit coming. Yes, it's found in John, I believe, chapter 14. I'm turning there now. The scripture we're thinking of is where Jesus said that it's better for him to go away. Do you know where, where to find that scripture? I don't. Not off the top of my head. But he talked about what he was saying was the comforter is going to come. I'm going to send him to you. And when I send the Holy Spirit to you, he's going to help you. Let me see if I can find it. Um, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. That's John 14. Now, I want to turn to another scripture. Um, the scripture I was looking for is in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. This is John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, I assure you that it is better for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the companion, the comforter, won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will show the world it was wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he continues on in that vein. I want to zone in here on Jesus saying that it is better for him to go away 
because then we can receive the Holy Spirit. I have more, on more than one occasion heard a Christian say, Oh, I wish I lived back in the time when Jesus was on the earth. It would have been so much nicer. It would have been so much better to see Jesus face to face. But that's not actually what Jesus said. Jesus said that it was better for him to leave because us receiving the power of the Holy Spirit was greater. And we've spoken about this in the past on the broadcast. We saw that promise fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And one of the reasons why it's better is because Jesus was only one person, and there was only so much as one person that he could do. Whereas with the Holy Spirit coming, it's as if Jesus is now living in thousands and millions of people. So it's as if there are millions of Jesuses walking the earth able to do the things he was doing. That is our calling as Christians. Now in John, the fourth chapter, verse 23, uh, you recognize that this story is uh, the Samaritan woman, and she's having a discussion with Jesus. In verse 23, Jesus says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that the worship that God requires of us is a constant attention to Jesus as the truth. Studying the scriptures, understanding that we're called out of this world, to prepare to live in the coming world and to rescue as many as we can while we're in that process. You will recall that this scripture occurs in context as Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well who is a Samaritan, and she brought up the point of, well, we don't worship in Jerusalem, we're worshiping at a different mountain, essentially saying, well, where am I supposed to worship? So Jesus corrects this idea and turns us away from thinking that worshiping God has to do with us going to a specific building, a specific church, a specific location. And he is instead saying in the, that in the new covenant, our worship is receiving the Holy Spirit, which puts us in a constant communion with God. So in the old covenant, they didn't have that constant communion with God. They didn't have that constant presence of God. They had to actually physically go somewhere, and they had to go to the specific place that God had chosen, which was Jerusalem. They couldn't set up their own altar on another mountain in order to worship God. Whereas in the New Covenant, we're now to live in such a way where we are always... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Where we are always mindful or giving place to... Jesus as our Lord, as the first in our life, we're always taking him into consideration. We know that he's present with us. There's been a clear experience in our life where we have passed from being out of the presence of God to now being in the presence of God. And so it's now, instead of, I only worship God when I go to one specific place, it's now I am constantly in an, in the presence of God, in, an, in union with God, and in an attitude of reverence and obedience to him. 
Yes, and this, we're trying to make a transition now, and it's not an easy transition to make. Jesus is operating in the physical world, healing this woman who was bleeding for 12 years. He has now touched this little girl in the physical realm. He was physically present. And now how do we move to a time when Jesus is no longer physically present, but the Holy Spirit has come? Well, what is your spirit? You see, you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a flesh body. The spirit is what controls our inner being. It is not our soul. Our soul is our personality. But the spirit is the center in our heart to worship Jesus. And it means we've now move into that center place in our heart and we focus on the truth on Jesus and we're called now to walk in the spirit because the Holy Spirit comes at conversion and joins together with us in the spirit realm and so we find did you want to jump in Yes, the shift in thinking that you're describing is the same shift in thinking that this Samaritan woman had to make. Uh, some of you perhaps have grown up in the church, and so you actually have the same kind of thinking as the Samaritan woman without realizing it, where you think, okay, I go to church. I have to go to church to worship God, or I have to read my Bible, or I have to go to my prayer closet. You think that there's like something geographic, perhaps, or there's a specific church that you're supposed to be in. And Jesus is moving us out of that kind of thinking into a kind of thinking and a kind of living where we are living 100% of the time in the presence of God, no matter where we go. And it requires a cutting off of everything of darkness. You can't walk in the spirit of God and walk in darkness. You cannot be an enemy of God and expect to have his presence with you. Let me read this. Romans, the eighth chapter. I'll begin with verse five. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful man, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I'd like to read this from, this is the Common English Bible. I, I feel that it, it's a little bit more straightforward. I'm going to read the same passage, Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. People whose lives are based on selfishness think about selfish things, but people whose lives are based on the Spirit think about things that are related to the Spirit. 
the attitude that comes from selfishness leads to death, but the attitude that comes from the spirit leads to life and peace. So, the attitude that comes from selfishness is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law because it can't. People who are self-centered aren't able to please God. That is more clear. If we look at Romans, the eighth chapter, verse 13, for if you live according to the sinful nature, that is the selfish nature, if you live according to what the world lives for, says you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're for children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Would you read that out of yours? Yes, this is Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 13. If you live on the basis of selfishness, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the actions of the body, you will live. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit that shows you are adopted as his children. With this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, if we really suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. I urge you to read carefully this entire eighth chapter of the book of Romans. It is addressing clearly this transition that we've had to make from having Jesus present with us to having Jesus return to heaven. And now we live by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, as he searches us, and he will search us, he will come to things that we want to hang on to. And he's going to say, cut it off. We live a life of repentance before the living God of heaven, whereas he shows us attitudes, beliefs, practices, we don't stubbornly stand and say, well, I can't do it. It's impossible. No, we press into Jesus and we put our faith and our confidence and our love in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, whose entire task is to lift up Jesus for us and to live in us like Jesus lived on the earth. This verse uh, that we just read, Romans 8, 5, people whose lives are based on selfishness think about selfish things, but people whose lives are based on the Spirit think about things that are related to the Spirit. I think this is actually uh, well demonstrated by the passage we just read in Mark 5, 
with Jesus uh, first responding to the request of Jairus to come to heal his daughter, then healing the woman who was bleeding on the way, then even though Jairus' daughter died, still going to her and raising her from the dead. We see this example. There was nothing selfish at all about Jesus' example, his actions, his heart, his response, his initiatives. He was purely there for others as he was led by the Spirit. So Jesus was truly someone whose lives was based on the Spirit and who was thinking about things that were related to the Spirit, which you will recall is that God's kingdom is here now, that Satan is defeated, that Jesus did everything necessary for our salvation, for our healing. These are the kinds of things that motivated Jesus, what the Holy Spirit led him to do these acts of kindness and of selflessness and of healing and of service and of salvation to others. So I don't want you to read this and think it's some abstract theological thing, but Jesus actually lived out this principle for us so that we could see it and follow his example. Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'll begin in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. Jesus was living by the Spirit. He was modeling living by the Spirit. And now he's calling us to model also to the world living by the Spirit. It says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now he gives a hit list to help us identify specifically what it is like to walk in the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So have you tucked away in some corner of your life some wicked thing, some harsh attitude, some desire to create factions, dissensions? Does selfish ambition flood your soul? Fits of rage, discord, hatred for someone or something. You see, there's a, a total transformation that he wants to make in us so that as we walk through the world, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit becomes so real in us 
that we walk by the Spirit only. That's why we're crying out for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why we will not be silenced as we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why we cry out for revival in this city. It will not come by the flesh. It will not come by human desire. It will come by the Holy Spirit. When I read the stories of Jesus touching and healing and restoring, giving dignity back to men and women, I mean, some today would say, Jesus, don't pay any attention to that woman. She's not worth it. She's a, she's a wicked woman. God's judgment's on her. She's bleeding. Turn her aside. That's not what Jesus did. The desire of Jesus is that we should live in the spirit of the living God and walk as Jesus walked. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, when I look at all of this, when I look at the National Prayer Chapel, the National Prayer Chapel is a small house church. We have no goal of impressing anyone. We simply want to learn together how to lay aside our hatred, the factions, the dissensions, to learn how to allow the fruit of the Spirit to be produced in us. And we invite you to come. It's a house church, so you'll need directions. So if you'd like directions, call me. I'll give you my cell number. 703-489-1785. And please, if you just want to fight with me or disagree with me, don't call. I'm not going to fight with you. And that's happened. Yesterday after the broadcast, a call came. A man full of hatred, bitterness, rage, accusation. It's okay. But that's not, that's not where we're going. We want to walk in peace with Jesus and with each other. And we want the Holy Spirit to come and guide us in that. So if you'd like to be a part, then I invite you to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're, we're in right on the line of Woodbridge. So 703 489-1785 and I'll be happy to give you directions we meet Sunday morning from 10 until noon and we pray and we share and we read the word and we sing praise and worship so if you'd like to come come at the call of the Holy Spirit Anything you want to wrap up today with? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. 
We are Pastor Ray Greenley and Alexandra Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We also invite you to visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search National Prayer Chapel. Okay, I'd like to say just one last thing in today's broadcast. Don't give up. Go to the Lord Jesus. Ask him if there's anything in your life that he is displeased with. And if there is, give it to him. Cut it off. Don't walk in the flesh. Don't walk in the desires of the human heart. But give yourself utterly, totally, completely to Jesus and ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Focus your entire attention in rejoicing in Jesus, praising his name, lifting up your heart and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I belong to you. Fill me with your presence. And he'll do that. So don't give up. Everything will change as you are one with Jesus. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.